Hey, y'all, this is Michelle Malone. And this is Doug Keys. And you are listening to Billy Brew and the Manifesto. <laughs> It's me, your friend, Billy Brew. Good morning. You're listening to The Manifesto with Billy Brew, our Thursday weekly excursion into broadcast amazingness. And you are hearing us on The Real 1100 AM Atlanta in Atlanta, Georgia. How cool is that? Streaming live. Listen while you work or wherever you are at real1100.com. You can also download The Real 1100 app for your iPhone or Android. TuneIn Radio app is also available. That's a great way to listen on the go. Uh, we're also out there on iHeartRadio. Of course, The Manifesto with Billy Brew has a Facebook page. We have all of our past shows there, some good content there, and, and all the upcoming shows and what have you. Check that out. And uh, we're also available on podcasts. Yeah, I'm, I'm high-tech here. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, among many of the platforms that you can find. Just uh, look up The Manifesto with Billy Brew, and you will find all those shows. And, of course, as always, I want to say good morning to Greg, uh, producer extraordinaire. He keeps me on the rails, and I would be dead without him. And, as always, this uh, edition of The Manifesto with Billy Brew is brought to you by Habersham Home Solutions and Landscape. Summer is here. Boy, is it ever. Habersham Home Solutions and Landscape can help you with your home improvement and landscaping projects this summer. From light handyman work to big landscape projects, the team at Habersham Home Solutions and Landscape is your only call. General home repair, safety features installation, electrical and plumbing, deck repair and staining, junk removal, landscape design and installation, and painting services as well. Atlanta owned and operated. Trusted and dependable, serving Metro Atlanta. Call to schedule a free estimate today at 770-616-5979. That's 770-616-5979. More than a handyman, solutions for your home. Habersham Home Solutions and Landscape. Yeah, call these guys today, and and it's hot as blue blazes, but they can certainly help you out regardless of the weather. 770-616-5979. Well, if you are a first-time listener to the show, thank you very much for giving it a shot. I think you'll really get, uh, really enjoy this uh, program this hour with my special guest. Uh, got a great, great message, great story, and then hopefully some inspiration uh, for for certain people out there. But uh, you know, we do ordinary people doing extraordinary things, and I think uh, my guest here is doing extraordinary things big time. She is actually. She and I went to high school together. You, you notice a trend there. I, I have a lot of these people who come in. I went to high school with me, and uh, but she's she's doing great. And um, please welcome to the show, Amanda Ippolito. Hey, Bill, how are you? I am great, thank you. Good morning, and thank you for coming. It's my pleasure. I think last time I saw you was at the Rolling Stones show, and it's like, is that you? Is that yeah? It's like one of those real quick flash things. Like, is that was that was that Amanda up there? And then well, you were just far enough away. Yeah, for me, exactly. Not to be able to just go. Hey, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You're not at a Rolling Stone show either. So, um, things good with you? Excellent. Are things well? Good? Yeah, Th- things things are well? Great. Excellent. Excellent. Are you still living here in Atlanta? I am, yes. Beautiful. Yes. You've been, have you ever moved away from Atlanta? Briefly, I lived in New York City. And, really? Uh, that was fun. That was fun, but it's cold up there. Was this in the 80s? This was in uh, the early 90s. Yeah. And also a brief period in the 80s. Um, I went up there and kind of helped my grandmama. Cool. That's yeah. very good. But are you an are you an Atlanta native? I am a native. Where were we born? St. Joseph's Hospital downtown. Downtown. Yeah. That's old school. It really is. I love it. All right. So uh, you and I went to high school together. What was it like for you growing up? Now, as as I just now found out, as a native. 
Well, and Atlanta know, and the the feel and what was it like for you growing up in Atlanta? I loved growing up in Atlanta. Yeah, and I think it was just um, you know it's kind of iconic. I think the period of time that we grew up in, mm-hmm. you know, it was just a special time. People were not as worried about um, you know nutty things happening to yeah. you. So, or were the nutty things there? We just were sheltered from them, and with with le- less media and stuff. I don't know. I guess maybe less media. Yeah. That's probably a good point, but. Like, it was not unusual for me to, you know, cross Roswell Road yeah. and get on the bus and go to Six Flags with my friends, yeah. you know? And, and, and with no cell phone, and maybe you had a couple of quarters if you had to call home. But, exactly. But you never did anyway. Right. Yeah, we yeah. never did. I'd walk to Lenox Square, you know, yeah, on Peach Street, no problem. Yeah. And now I, now I don't let my kids do anything. I mean, I don't want to be a helicopter dad, as they say, but it's it's different. It is a lot different. And um, also just the way people perceive. I mean, I, I let my daughter walk across Rickenbacker Drive to the <laughs> drugstore to buy some gum. Yes. And a neighbor called. Oh, really? I just saw your daughter at, at Clients. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I'm like, I think uh, she's okay. Oh, my you God. You know, she is, uh, you know, 12. I think she can do that, you know. But it's... Uh, just times have changed a lot. It has. Then. Do you like the, what you see in Atlanta today? Um, I, I do like what I see. I mean, a lot's happening. I think the city is growing and becoming more diverse. And, um, yeah. you know, the international impact is here. And, you know, better food, more fun, um, yeah. different ways to explore other cultures. And I really enjoy that. Absolutely. And, and yeah, I guess you got a taste of that living up in New York, uh, New York City. And then now Atlanta is basically the New York of the South. Exactly, right. Yeah, so very, very international stuff. So, all right, well, we're going to kind of go, we're going to have some serious, I think hopefully what, what Amanda's going to bring to the table is, is some awareness about addiction. And uh, I'm sure either we all know somebody who has been through it, who suffered from it, uh, either as a friend, family member, or what have you, or you actually may be going through it yourself. So this may be hopefully very informative, and it's going to answer some questions that I have as well. So um, I guess tell me your role. How did you jump into this And uh, without, you know, however you want to approach this? Okay. Well, um, at a pretty young age, I a friend uh, gave me uh, some cocaine, and I had tried cocaine before. And was and this when you were in high school? Uh, just after I graduated from when high school. I, when, yeah, when we were in high school, I you know people smoke pot, and I, I, I but I, I heard of cocaine, but I my thought that's no one does cocaine at this age, you know. But you, I guess, got into it a little bit. I got into it a little bit, and um, you know what I found was that when I tried it um, the first few times, especially, I felt um, you know smarter. I felt better looking, taller, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, and is it a euphoria? It, I've never experienced it. So is it a euphoria that's? Well, I'm going to I'm gonna backtrack a little okay. bit. So I have ADHD. Oh, okay? But, okay. but, you know, prescribing Ritalin, that was not really, I mean, that was something that was done. Um, but I don't think it was as common as it is now. Yeah. So for me, having that little stimulant made me feel normal. Did it help you in your specific condition focus better? It did. Okay. It did. I felt more focused, and I felt um, just it was, um, you know, what's the term, social lubricant. Oh, and, okay. Um, so, you know, that's kind of how it got started, and probably I think that everyone has an opportunity when they, you know, if you try drugs, um, you can stop on your own after really at any point. 
But what can happen is um, you can kind of cross a line where your use becomes so frequent that it just it kind of turns into a continuous thing. Yeah, it's and like it's like some people's morning coffee. Exactly. Well, you I'm, know, I'm still doing that. Well, yet, yeah. Believe me. Um, what was the allure at the time? Do you remember how you felt? It's like, okay, here's cocaine. What? I'll, okay, I'll try it. Was it a social thing? What? What was it? It was a social thing. Um, also, though, just you know, internally, I felt better. But you didn't know yeah. that before you tried it. No, you had, okay, you had to try. Right, you had to try it. it first. Okay. You know. All right. So you know. The cool kids, you okay, know, okay. the cool kids, yeah. I guess is the best I can do on that. You know, I mean, I wish I had a great answer for it, but no, it makes um, sense. I was, um, I, I wasn't afraid to try it. Okay. So, and I had smoked pot earlier yeah. in high school, but I actually quit that and I've not smoked pot since. So it's kind of a funny thing. Like that drug didn't do for me anything special. Chemically, it's, it, I guess it's known that cocaine is a little more addictive, or a lot more addictive than certainly the marijuana and cannabis. Right, and in, and in those days, they said it was socially addictive, but it wasn't yeah. physically addictive. But that's actually not true. It's one of the most addictive drugs known to man, and um, or woman. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, having kind of a large amount of it at one point, it just kind of put me in a, on a different level. Um, you know, it, if it, before that, or maybe just in the middle of that, maybe an intervention would have worked on me. But to be honest with you, my family didn't know. My family had no idea what I was doing. Yeah, because you're not going to tell them. You're not going to certainly, you know, hey, mom and dad, I, I'm I'm hooked on cocaine. You're not going. It's a, I'm sure you're probably maybe were shamed at the time in, inside yourself. So why am well, I doing this? Well, you know, it's like a secret. It of course, yeah. Secret, I never told was... my parents I drank beer in high school. Right. You know, exactly. who am I going to tell? So, um, you know, over time, I kind of crossed, you know, the imaginary line okay. to where really nothing was going to help me unless I was stopped. And Th- so, There's no weaning process? If you can do that. But, you know, I was, you know, I like to identify myself as a person in recovery and not an addict. Yes. But at that time, I was definitely living as an addict, but I didn't really even know it. You know, they would say socially addictive. It's not really addictive. So I didn't really know what I was getting into, but I do remember how I felt at the beginning. And, you know, over time I failed to get that same feeling, but I was kind of chasing that feeling. And is it for you? Yeah. Okay. You just exactly what I was going to ask you. I hear other stories of other addicts and and, and I'm going to use the term recovery for you, certainly. But, but at some point you're an addict. Right. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. and then you. Active, yeah. But the the high is never enough. You just keep chasing, keep chasing, and so, so one line is okay, but oh man, I I could use two or three more. Well, it's like you know, in the beginning, one little, tiny spoon bit, is enough for four or five hours, but then. Wow. Okay. Well, that's what it was like for me. But yeah. then you know, as time went on, the frequency of use became more often, and pretty soon I was just it just was it became my lifestyle. And unfortunately, it, yeah, at one point, it really became like a full-time job, you know? Did it really consume your thoughts that much? It really did. It Waking really up did. in the morning or, did, I guess... I felt like I needed it. I didn't. That feel was normal. your coffee, literally. Yeah, I didn't feel normal without it. So, wow. it's, um, I mean, it's hard to explain, but uh, some people might get this. You know, some people put on chapstick, Carmex, or lipstick frequently. Okay, okay? yes. So, they do that frequently. And if you, those Carmex users know exactly what I'm talking about. You're driving down the road, 
and you open your thing of Carmex, and there's not much in it. So already you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm almost out. Oh. I'm almost out. What am I going to do? You know? And then really you're driving, but really what you're thinking about is how you're going to get the next container of Carmex or okay. your next lipstick or whatever it is. Yeah. And, um, you know, your lips start feeling dry. <laughs> you start kind of getting nervous about it. Um, you're, like, licking your lips, rubbing your lips, and really you're not at ease again until you get that Carmex or lipstick in your pocket or purse and then you know it's there. And then you use it several times throughout the day. So that that's an kind interesting of, analogy. Well, it's a great analogy. Yeah. I, I got it from somebody else, but I will tell you. It's that yours it, now. I it's, love yeah, it. But I, yeah, I like <laughs> using it because it helps people understand because a lot of people are, you know, frequent lip, you stuff, lip I stuff. I call it lip I stuff. I am. I'm user. totally hooked on lip stuff. So, yeah. Interesting. Did you know at the time, uh, and you were young. I mean, this is very young. So, right. I mean, when I was early 20s, I all I did was drink beer, but I had... I had no common sense. I was just an idiot. I was a, I was an idiot. So you and you always impress me as very mature, much more mature than I am. So what's going on in your mind? You're smart enough to know this is not good for me. Right. What do you do? How do you reconcile? So oh well, let me just do one more day and then I'll I'll tackle it tomorrow. Exactly. And yeah. I had that thought many times. You know, this will be the last time. I won't do it again. Um, and especially when it started to hurt my family. Mm. You know. Um, and I think a lot of people don't realize, especially if they're in active addiction right now, they don't realize the the uh, collateral damage that it causes. People don't or realize do it, but, you know, you also do realize it. And unfortunately, the shame that comes from that, for me anyway, um, just caused me to go further down the pit. You know, I just kind yeah. of I look at my addiction as a deep well. And I kept going lower and lower into the well. And then one day I'm in the well. The sides, the walls are slippery, and I don't have any idea how I'm going to get out of it. Did you alienate yourself with your friends and family? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and you hung around like people, I guess, at the time. Or, or right, did you? exactly. Yeah. yeah, I yeah I hung around with people that were doing what I was doing. Did so. you? And 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 if I'm if I'm going into territory that I shouldn't let me know, but did, what was your rock bottom? And you don't have to go into details. I mean, emotionally, your rock bottom. Um. Okay. I'm just going to go, because I've, I've actually had been in recovery a couple of times. Okay. Um, but I'm just going to go to this last time. Sure. Because I think it's more important. I had um, I had had some legal problems, and I was on probation. And if you've ever been on probation, it's just kind of a rule of thumb. You don't go to probation um, drinking beer <laughs> or being high. Yeah, no. Because you're likely to have a drug test. Yes. So um, I was in violation of probation. And I got stopped, um, basically a routine traffic stop, and they found that I was I violated my probation when they ran my name. And, um, of course, I wasn't in the most savory part of town. You know, mm. Betty Buckhead over here was not going to be able to get out of this with, you know, <laughs> oh, I can't find my license. That's right. You know? <laughs> so um, the way that that kind of worked was um, I, had, I had actually already made some phone calls to try to find – a place where I could go, and I knew that I needed something longer term. I knew that, you know, 30 days, I was just going to probably make more connections and know more about drugs and just go right back to it. But um, I had called a six-month program in Sandy Springs. It's called uh, Mary Hall Freedom House. Okay. And I went to – I when I got arrested, um, I did go to jail, and that was fun. But, you know, the, sitting in the back of a police car – was the first moment of relaxation 
it was like a deep breath, and I just said, I'm done. That's interesting. You almost felt relief. I absolutely felt relief. Seriously? That is unbelievable. Yes, because I couldn't stop. That's the thing, Bill. I could not stop. My mind had me tricked. It's like, you know, it's like the devil's doing push-ups in the parking lot, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah. feeding my addiction yeah. with um, a lot of misconceptions on my part, um, thinking that my family would never accept me again, just all kinds of things. Now, there's nothing further than the truth. My mother and father and my sister are my biggest fans, yeah. and they've supported me all along the way. But um, in my mind, I was just a bad person, and I wasn't going to be of use to anybody. And That's how it felt about myself. Yeah, and, and when you're in that shape, the uh, recovery is the last thing on your mind. Well, you know, or, or is it? Or maybe well, you're I different. Mean, okay, so I knew recovery was possible, but this is where really the guilt and shame comes in, and um, also just the way the perception of um, a person that has a substance use disorder. Yeah. So I don't really say. I mean, so if I'm in a twelve step meeting, I'll identify as. A, a, an alcoholic and addict. Okay. Okay. If I'm in a 12 step meeting, cause that's what's expected. And that is what goes on there. And, um, I give high five to 12 step programs cause it's really helped me a lot. Not only just to be able to kind of sort everything out with their, the 12 step program, mm-hmm. but also to gain a lot of great and wonderful friends that are lifelong type friends, Yes. you know, that. And the shared really, experiences you have, that's a common bond for exactly, sure. Exactly. Exactly. But um, when I am, let's just say that I was headed to the Capitol and got in the elevator or I'm in security line with somebody and they say, what brings you to the Capitol today? Rather than identifying as an addict, I would say, my name is Amanda. I'm a person in long-term recovery. And what that means to me is I've not found it necessary to use mind-altering substances, including alcohol, for over eight years. Because of my recovery, I'm a vital part of my family, my workplace, and the community that I live in. I speak out about my recovery to reduce stigma and provide hope and resources for persons suffering from substance use disorders and their families. And I'm asking you to join me in this movement to provide more opportunities for those seeking their own recovery pathways and reduces the stigma that keeps families and people in addiction from getting the help that they need. And then I might also say, this is a life-saving movement. Will you join me? I like the sound so, of that a lot. Did you? You had to become your own fan because I, I, I can imagine you were not your best fan. Not at the time, no. But no. You, you had to almost say, all right, Amanda, let's do this. I mean, you had to be your own cheerleader too. Absolutely. I, I mean, I had a lot of support on uh, the program that I went to. You know, being in a six-month program, a lot of people would really not want to do that. But I knew that I needed something longer term. I knew that just a few days uh, in a posh rehab, yeah, wasn't going to be it for me. Um, what, what, yeah, what about the thirty days? And I and I know it, addiction and stuff goes is different. People handle it differently. People do handle it differently. But the thirty days and everything I'm saying is just from my own personal experience yes. because there are many pathways to recovery and many people um, can either stop or change their behavior and somehow you know get out of the the circumstances yes. that they were in. Um, a lot of people just kind of go back to something that. They enjoy doing in their youth. A friend of mine does roller skating. That was something she really enjoyed. So using prevented her from being part of that anymore. So she found some adult skating groups, and now that's that's how she lives in her recovery, by activity. Some people go to the gym. They join CrossFit. That's, yeah. that's also a support group. You know, everybody's encouraging you to, to do what you want to do. 
Um, for a lot of people, it's nature. Yeah. And, you know, that's something I didn't see much of uh, when I was using because I, I was imagine. pretty much inside, oh. undercover. It hurt to go outside. I bet. Uh, I the, bet. The, the sunglasses were <laughs> crucial. You know? Was there a physical withdrawal to you specifically? Or is it more of a psychological? Okay. Maybe a little um, bit of both. Okay. I, I'm going to say that I did have some physical withdrawal system symptoms. I felt very sick. And um, it, you know, I, I, that's another point. You know, the, the legal system, and I mean, I know that they're there for the masses. Yeah. But you know, for me, I was physically sick, and I needed something to help me. So not a, not something addictive. Yeah. But like something just to help me. Yeah. What, um, what were you given to help with that process? Uh, you know, I was given something that it's like actually, a drug to counteract a drug or something. Sort of. Yeah. yeah. But you know, I mean, basically, it was a sedative. <laughs> okay. So, just go to sleep and everything will be fine. Pretty much. <laughs> um, and believe me, I had lost a lot of sleep. Yeah. So, um, I, I really, I spent about a week hardly getting just getting up to eat. Wow. And, and that food was not good either. But that's okay. Um, but. You know, it wasn't it wasn't for about a week that I was actually even able to really feel like I could get up and move around and feel okay because I was just so worn out yeah. from everything. When did you start to feel physically better? Like, okay, I can do this and you know, well, I you know, I you knew were down I, for I a week. I, yeah, I was down for a week. Um, you know, pretty much though, I knew I knew that the worst part was over. The worst part was over. Because you're very smart, but I guess in the mind of an addict, you justify you justify your actions, don't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was definitely self-justification. When I drank, oh, I had a great day. Let's go celebrate. I had a crappy day. Let's go, let's go drown in sorrows. Right, you know? exactly. Very easy yeah, to do. Yeah, an excuse. Yeah. An excuse, definitely. So, yeah, that's uh, – but, you know, the first thing I did after that week, you know, is I, I called my mom and I asked – I told her I had called the treatment program and I asked her to see if they would still – let me come in. I had to do another evaluation with them, but um, fortunately, the the place where I was in jail was actually cool about it, and they let me go and have this conversation and get accepted to this program. And then I had to advocate for myself yeah. to the judge. And uh, you know, the judge, I watched. I was like the second to last person to go that day, and I watched everybody going down. Going down, going down, more jail time. Some people going to prison. Most of it was for drug-related incidents, and it was the it was the repeating the incidents, you know. But if if you're if you're on your feet and you're an addict, you know, I mean, it's a common thing to either not have a license or not have a car. <laughs> you could have one, <laughs> yeah. but not both. You, you always needed you know? to ride somewhere, didn't you? <laughs> so you know, so yeah, I was I had a car, but not a licensed person at that point, but. Um, you know, you just get seen by the same police in your area, and so it's kind of over and over again, yeah. you know, and it's – they're doing their job. I'm not saying that they're doing the wrong thing, uh, but just what I watched that just reinforced everything was how many people who really needed what I was going to ask for were just going to prison. And, and, the, and they could have easily asked for what you asked for and changed their fate. Well, you know, yes, possibly so. What's interesting is that very same day, the person that – went before me, was sentenced to prison. And after I spoke to the judge and explained to him my feelings and my thoughts and how I really believed, you know, if I went to this program, I mean, he, not only did I go to the program, but I did 18 months of aftercare wow. afterwards. So it was basically two years. Yeah. 
that I was very involved, and I still volunteer there all the time. As a matter of fact, that's my next location after I leave here. Excellent. But um, I was able to, because of my privilege, because, you know, I did grow up in Buckhead. Yeah. I, I didn't ask to be grow, to grow <laughs> up in Buckhead, but I did. Yes. My parents are intelligent. My parents had great vocabularies. I knew how to communicate. Yeah. So because of those privileges, the judge listened to me. And he heard the logic. And he said it with yeah, being yeah. Exactly. You didn't get emotional about it. Right. Yeah. I just told him exactly what the the situation was. I knew that recovery was possible, and that in my case, I expected recovery, long term, but I really needed this, and so I advocated for myself, and I got what I needed. But not everyone can advocate like that for themselves. Um, They may not know about the resources. I just happened to know what resources were available. And had just recently spoken to this program, and so that's kind of how that went. The guy that was after me, that was sentenced for two years, the judge asked him, "Hey, do you want to? Um, do you want me to do for you what I did for Miss Ippolito?" And he said, "No, I'm just going to do my time." And and he could have easily changed changed so the course of his life with exactly, a, a simple exactly, conversation. Exactly. What probably would. Ha- Probably what has happened to him is that he went back to the same lifestyle and now maybe he's serving a longer term maybe yeah. he, or maybe he overdosed and is dead. Mm. You know, the, so those are some of the things that I advocate for. There's an organization called the Pre-Arrest Division, Fulton County, DeKalb County, Pre-Arrest Division. And what they do is they try to intervene um, at the lockup stage okay, and try to, you know, kind of do a recovery capital assessment on that person and see if it appears that recovery would actually benefit them, oh. that they have, were motivated for recovery. Yeah. And so it's a great organization, and they are able to divert people from the prison system to a treatment program or some kind of day program yeah. that works for them. And they are held accountable while in those programs. And oftentimes, I, mean, I know many people that have gone through programs like that, um, drug court even. There's another program that's um, that's very popular yeah. where um, people have the opportunity to sit in and watch court and see people not getting, you know, getting, I guess, what they may deserve technically by everyone's standards, but yeah. not, um, not what's really right for that person. And then they have the opportunity to share small victories with the judges. Yeah. Of no. course, they, they do drug testing and that kind of oh, thing. Oh, yeah. And so – and – one wonderful thing about that program, you not only have your peers all supporting you, you have counselors and other people supporting you in that as well. And then the judge, the judge interacts with you directly and compliments you. Not through you. a lawyer or anything. Right. Yeah. They compliment you on what you're doing. They may make some suggestions on some other things you could do. Community service is a big part of that program. So... Just, there are a lot of programs out there, but the thing is, people don't know about them. When you were first in recovery, and I have to imagine it's it's not a tough love thing. They have to be a nurturing group of people, because yeah. I guess it, because if you come at an addict who in a caustic way, they're not going to respond, uh, or I, would they? Okay, I would say that that's mostly true. Um, I would say that the the former client climate, excuse me, in treatment was to treat the client like. Uh, Almost like a prisoner, yeah, a person with no, no self worth, and you know you're under us right now, and we're gonna, you know, tell you what to do, mm-hmm. and you're gonna follow these rules, and we're gonna kick you out. 
And um, you know, that climate has really changed, I would say, really over the last um, six to eight years to where there's – you actually – you have a Bill of Rights. But that doesn't sound long, that long ago. Six, eight years is no time in the history There were of a few programs. There's a program in Tennessee called Cumberland Heights, and they use the respect model. Okay. And um, that's very effective. People feel good about themselves, good about what they're doing, being in treatment, and um, they're also given – you know the extra resources when when they're leaving yeah to to be able to be successful and to be able to come back and participate in aftercare and that kind of thing okay well we just got started and we can go forever but let's take a quick break and okay. i would when we get back i would love to talk about uh harm reduction okay, and great. maybe the georgia council on substance abuse as well and, and what you're doing as far as advocacy so okay. are right, you listening to the manifesto with billy brew my very special guest is amanda ippolito and we're going to take a quick break we'll be right back
Welcome back to the Manifesto with Billy Brew. That was Payphone Poets and their song, I Don't Think So. And we're having a very interesting and enlightening conversation with my guest this hour is Amanda Ippolito. And when we before we took the break, we talked about what is harm reduction? Okay, harm reduction. So I will say that this is a controversial topic. Okay. I've never heard of it until this morning. Okay. So I'm going to start with uh, Georgia Overdose Prevention just to kind of put some perspective into this. Uh, Georgia Overdose Prevention was started by a group of parents of um, young people. Would that be their version of MAD, Mothers Against Drunk Driving type thing? Well, sort of, sort of, except they're not mad. They're sad. Well, yeah. Okay? They're sad because their children have lost their lives. Usually, I mean, most of these stories that I've heard, these children have been high achievers in high school in college, and somewhere around... Right now, it's very prevalent in young people. I'm talking about 18 to 24 mm-hmm. getting started on heroin. Heroin? I mean, that, that, that has always frightened me. Just the word is, is intimidating. How, do you, how does one ease into heroin? I don't know that. Okay, well... Because you're getting... So you, there, are, there are a couple of different factors that I know about, and yeah. I'm sure there are many more. But one thing I know of is... Kids today, you know, it's a big thing, these athletic scholarships, yeah. being good on a team. Um, there's more accessibility, especially yeah. for women, to be on sports teams now, whereas, you know, you were a cheerleader or nothing or a <laughs> basketball player pretty much, you know, yeah. when we were in school. But, you know, now it's the lacrosse, it's the soccer, softball, just a lot of different kinds of teams. And when people have – people are pushed, yeah. you know, to achieve, which I know that's all part of the game. Um but the injuries that happen. So, okay. um, so you've injured yourself. You're a straight A student. Now you're on pain pills. Somehow, when you use that pain pill, you feel that same feeling that I was talking about before. That feeling of being enlightened, mm-hmm. of feeling better about yourself. Um, and these are intelligent people. These are intelligent young people. Yeah. They are living in good families, all over. I mean. You know, the suicide, or the, excuse me, the accidental overdoses are occurring mostly on the northern arc yeah. of Atlanta. So this, it's the, you know, the suburbs, yeah, really the suburbs, although, of course, it's going on in downtown Atlanta as well. Uh, but these young people, uh, they get sucked in at that time. Yeah. And then, uh, I hate to say it, you know, but for, like, that element that cocaine meant cool to me, yeah, heroin means cool to them. Heroin chic? I guess so. Or something. And, you know, there's been a lot of, um, there's been a lot of media influence that, that has kind of brought it up. But, um, you know, there's a 12 step fellowship called Heroin Anonymous and it's very successful because it, it, it's cool to belong to that fellowship. But that's almost trendy to be part of that. Well, it's just trendy to be part of all of that. Um, That's an interesting dynamic to me. It is a real interesting. It used to be a shame when you and I were growing up, but now it's like, oh, yeah, I'm in recovery. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. But, you know, usually what happens with these kids is, um, you know, they get hooked up with other kids that have the means to get it. And, um, you know, they can make pills now, by the way, that look exactly like pain pills, but they're not pain pills. Like fentanyl? Fentanyl. Heroin Jeez. and other and could be similar to a pain pill, but you never know what you're getting when you get a pill off the street, and that's one of the thing. You know, these these people feel like they're protected. 
They're protected mm-hmm. because they live in this neighborhood. They went to this high school. They're smart. They're going to this college or they're at this college. Yeah. They're intelligent people. But what ends up happening is the addiction starts to take over. And even it's just as dangerous recreationally. Oh, okay. yeah. Oh, so yeah. I know that the, the term recreational heroin use is, is going to, like, make people's hair stand yeah, on edge. Yeah, it's an oxymoron. It's crazy. Yeah. But, you know, it's happening. And that's the thing we have to be aware of. It's happening. So regardless of what you think about it, your neighbor down the street may have just lost a son or daughter mm-hmm. at a very young age to an overdose that was accidental. Yeah, they weren't. A, they weren't, they weren't a, trying to hurt themselves. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's just very sad. So this parent group, this group of three or four parents, mothers, um, got fed up with this happening. And, you know, some of the – they just felt like there should be more resources available. And there is a reversal drug called uh, naloxone. That counteracts fentanyl? That counteracts. What it does is it knocks the opioids off the receptors in the brain. Okay. Because when they get attached to the brain, if it overwhelms the brain, you just stop breathing. And that's really what happens. You stop breathing. Your body stops breathing. So you look fine. So you're not foaming at the mouth as you see in not the movies and all that stuff? Not you know. necessarily, no. Oh, wow. Um, you, you're just sitting back in your chair and everybody thinks you're okay. And then after a while, maybe they start noticing that your lips are turning blue. And then you got a situation. Okay, this person is overdosing right in front of me. What am I going to do now? And people are scared. Yeah. I mean, they have drugs on them in the house or whatever. Mm-hmm. Do they want to call the police? Well, not really, you know. But this is the thing that people need to know. Call 911. Explain what's happening. You have amnesty. If you call 911 and stay with that person until help arrives... They will not arrest you. They cannot. It is against the law is that, to arrest you. Is that nationwide and, or just statewide? Um, it's in Georgia, and yeah. several other states are okay. looking to adopt similar policies, and some states have already. But that sounds Georgia like a really re- good program. Georgia is really leading um, in a lot of this positive legislature and openness yeah. um, for recovery and also for harm reduction. Um, a lot of these kids would have lived if someone hadn't have put them in the car and thrown them on the side of the road because they didn't know what to do. Are, are some of the overdose rates alarming? Oh, it's definitely alarming. It's definitely – uh, I mean, one is too many, of, of course, but, I mean, numbers that I couldn't comprehend probably. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I try to prepare pretty well. I don't have those numbers. Oh, but don't worry about the numbers. Yeah, but, but it just um, – but, but the facts are that if you use heroin, let's just say – if you're using heroin three times a week or you've been off to college and you come home and you go to use heroin, your tolerance level is going to be different. But your mind is going to tell you you need to use the same amount as before. So okay. that right there, because you haven't built up a tolerance or your tolerance hasn't been tested recently, yeah, that you could overdose easily. Not to mention the fentanyl, which yeah. is um, just killing people left and right. It really is. And it's... Um, but the thing to know is if someone overdoses, call 911. Stay with that person. The people, uh, the dispatch person knows what's going on. They're going to be able to help you do what you can do to keep that person going. They're until trained in that kind of situation. the ambulance arrives. The other thing to know is that naloxone is available. If you have a family member or a friend that's using, you can either reach out to Georgia Overdose Prevention 
or you can contact a, a pharmacy and get a prescription to have this in your home. You can buy it. And once you have that, if there's an emergency, you're prepared. Yeah. Um, a woman, a good friend of mine lost her brother recently. Oh. And he was living in the house with his parents. He had been away at a treatment program for a long time and had been doing very well. But he ran into someone that he used to use with, and it got it got him right back on the wagon. Um, when something like that happens, when you when you have periods of, of recovery, but then you do fall off, does your in, intake increase dramatically, or do you go back to the same levels as you were before? Okay, what usually happens? The, the disease is progressive. Okay. Okay. Um, and also, so is your mental state. Mine's, okay. mine's degressive. More more, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so it, it is a tendency to use as much or more on the first time rather than cutting back to maybe what you used the first time. Yeah, the know? old expression, I'm going to ease back into it. There's no easing. Yeah, you don't really don't because you want it to work. Yeah. You know, okay. you don't want to waste it. Yeah, you know, I <laughs> it's guess expensive. It's, it's, well, I mean, that's a common <laughs> thought process, though. Yeah. And um, so the important thing to know is that's available also, um, through another organization, Atlanta Harm Reduction, they have test strips for fentanyl. So if you are using, you can contact them and, and get these test strips so that you can test the drugs. Now, that at least gives you – that reduces harm, okay? Because if you okay. find you have a batch with, a, with, a, with an amount of fentanyl in it, so it's like your own mini lab. You can kind of see it's what's kind of, in there right. just before you take it. Right, right. Um, I do want to make clear about the naloxone too, though, okay. because most of the time it's offered as an injector, and so you know you never see a needle when you use it. So as a parent or someone who might be afraid of something like this, it's a simple thing. It, it actually there's a tester actually speaks to you and tells you exactly what to do. Okay. Um, but essentially, you know, you take the the safety off of it. You put it on your thigh. You and or their thigh, and you inject it. You wait about, and hopefully there's going to be a response. If there's no response, inject it again, because it can't hurt you. I mean, like if you if you if I did it on you right now, yeah. you wouldn't know anything about it okay. because you don't have opiates in your system, so it's not going to go to those opiates. You see what I'm saying? Okay. So a perfectly healthy person, if they were accidentally inje- injected, it yeah. doesn't make you high. It doesn't cause any. Anything. Would so, I overdose if I happen to take it today? I mean, uh, what, sorry, naloxone. No, yeah, not okay, at all. Okay. No, it, it won't harm you. It only attaches to, to these, the opiates. Opioids, rather. Opioids and, and knocks them off the receptors in your brain. But who's going to have the presence of mind at a party or social thing? And well, oh, this, I'm just, I just do it occasionally, and then they're not going to take. The, they're not going to do test strips and stuff like that. I can't imagine they would. Okay, well, they may not, the but they need, they need to know that it's available. True. That's I, all no, I'm I agree, saying. and I'm just playing I mean, a little bit devil's harm advocate. Reduction. It's harm reduction. Yes. I mean, this was formed by a group of parents who lost very young yeah. children to these incidents. Mm-hmm. Um, and its legislation was passed to protect. And this, this went – they got support. And it went through very, very quickly. Usually uh, a bill like that would take roughly four years. I think they got it passed in less than nine months, between six and nine months, oh, wow. which is incredible. Yeah, that is. And wow. uh, another part of that is that if you do have substances on you 
unless it's over four ounces, then the police cannot. They're not. They're not going to arrest you. So there's some leniency. There's definitely leniency it's from for, a, from a law enforcement. For, exactly. Because yeah. they 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 want the life to be saved. Okay. okay. They don't want there to be any barriers to saving this person's life. Yeah, because I mean, okay, yeah, and I think that makes sense because it's. You don't have, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm trying to process it in my mind. And, yeah, well, it's But it makes sense. I mean, I just think that people need to get on board and know, and know about this. And, you know, neighborhood pool, you might want to have an aloxin kit there. I'm just saying. Because you don't know. You don't know. It's yeah. easy to think this doesn't happen in my neighborhood until it does. And it's not a nighttime. And it's, at- and it's not like these kids are walking around like zombies. Yeah. They're not. And it's not like at a party. It, they can have it at 11 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't, yeah. you know, if you're using, you're going to use whenever the moment strikes. So We would go to keg parties at night in high school. We didn't go to daytime keg parties, so things are different. Right. Big time. Right. I mean, and Anything the availability is a lot more, everything's more available than us. I mean. Right. Than when I we were kids. So. Um now, what about your, your – are you working with the Georgia Council on Substance Abuse? Okay. I don't work for the Georgia Council on Substance okay. Abuse, but I was trained by them. Oh, okay. So um, I go through – I went through a five-day course um, that gave me a certification. And what this is all about is um, being able to advocate for recovery. Um, it also allows me to – speak on the science like i like i explained with the chapstick that's a really broken down uh discussion about the science of addiction and recovery it's perfect though it really is so well it's very applicable. yes more people can get it um and it also helps me to do recovery messaging so when i introduce myself as a person long-term recovery if you're a family member of a person who's suffering for addiction, one of the things, or excuse me, suffering from substance use disorder, one of the things is the stigma. Yeah. You don't necessarily want to reach out to your friends and say, I've got this problem. You're afraid. Yeah. So you get on the Internet and you start, you know, looking at scary videos and things. It doesn't really help the situation. Family members need to be able to say, hey, I love someone who's suffering from a substance use disorder or, hey, I love someone who's in long-term recovery, who's and they've overcame mm-hmm. a substance use disorder so that people know recovery is possible. I think a lot of people don't think it's for them, don't think they can do it, and that's really the main message. So I work um, individually with people. They come in. Not everyone wants to go to a 12-step meeting for various reasons. Yeah. So to come in and, and just talk to a peer who's been through it and talk to them about your goals and what you'd like to do and I would be able to respond with different resources, um, phone numbers, ideas yeah. that would support their goals for their pathway to recovery. Is Georgia pretty progressive about all this Absolutely. recovery? Absolutely. Georgia, I believe, is number one. Really? Really. That's yeah. great. That is great. Well, it is great. And, you know, that's due to the work of um, the Georgia Council on Substance Abuse and the people who have been there for many years where it wasn't so easy. Yeah. But they have really, really worked hard, tirelessly. Um to get the message out and to reach out to legislation and to reach out to individuals who are struggling. Um, One thing that they have available, which is pretty important, is their warm line, 
and the warm line. W-A-R-M? Yes. Is that an anagram for something? Not really. It's different from a hotline. Okay. Oh, oh, okay. That and makes that sense. It's, a, it's warm, a tepid line. And it's it a <laughs> warm person <laughs> that you're you. talking to who you. can relate to where you are. I see. Okay. And so they they have a number, um, which I will give you. It's 844-326-5400. And you can easily find that number on the Georgia Council of Substance Abuses website. And what's that website, if you don't mind? If you can share that. It is uh, gasubstanceabuse.org. Very simple. Gasubstanceabuse.org. Exactly. All right, cool. So if you want to talk to someone confidentially, uh, you want to, you just need someone to talk to, um, the hours are 830 in the morning to 11 o'clock at night. Okay. That they have people there. And, you know, a lot of times you feel lonely or depressed. Maybe you've had a setback. Maybe you've mm-hmm. been in recovery. You've had a setback. Setback can be very dangerous in the in that you you don't feel connected anymore. Okay. And then you feel like all is lost, and so you you further your addiction instead of your recovery. But they're there to talk to you at times like that. Um, if you've suffered a loss of a loved one, or you know, mm-hmm. sometimes they they get a call that you know they someone they know that they just saw a friend die, and they want to know how to get help. You and, know. Yeah. So it's a really important and valuable resource, and uh, definitely definitely work looking into um another thing that is going on is um now we have recovery community organizations throughout atlanta and um in other areas of the state and you can find them on that same website georgiasubstanceabuse.org and that's a place where you can walk in so that's the kind of place i work for i work for peers empowering peers we're in sandy springs okay and um, if you're if you're a native, you know the Pumpkin Patch Church on Roswell Road. Yes. Seven seven zero seven 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 zero Roswell Road. <laughs> um, we're in the lower level there, and um, our mission is to assist persons in all pathways of recovery to access educational, legal, employment, medical, and behavioral health community-based services. So we connect people to support, and it could be support of your choosing. You know what you think is going to work for you. Okay. Um, also, you know, we can help people navigate some of their legal issues if that's what they're dealing with. If someone's having a hard time connecting with one pathway, we might be able to help them look, you know, look at another pathway to recover. So it's not rigid. You're very flexible to go no, what, what totally suits open. that person. We're totally open and it's, that it's makes personalized. Sense. Yeah, absolutely. So we offer different, um, we offer Tai Chi there. We offer, um, a trauma group. A lot of people that end up with the substance use issue or a mental health issue it's because of a traumatic event it may have occurred in their childhood it may have occurred as an adult yeah so uh, we have a trauma group that supports that that's tuesday at noon um we all we have traditional 12-step meetings there on monday and wednesday but you can call anytime yeah, yeah give the number in the website for your for your group specifically okay so i'm going to give you my phone number my work number it's 404 662 one one seven seven and our website is peers empowering peers all spelled out dot org peers empowering peers dot org exactly excellent that's that's a great local resource and and certainly amanda uh can help you out on that i what is the key to a long term or a lifetime of recovery and no relapses okay i would say that the key is enjoying what you're doing 
Okay, I absolutely insist upon enjoying life. Yeah, yes, because so it's short. Things that I like to do. Um, obviously, I like spending time with like-minded people. Okay, okay. so for me, the twelve-step path gave me that. Um, I love to travel. So obviously, in my addiction, I wasn't doing much traveling. Uh, <laughs> hard to get through airport security with that situation going on. So you know now. <laughs> Now I'm able yeah. to travel again, and uh, in fact, I'll be going to an international convention for one of my 12-step fellowship in Sweden uh, at the beginning of July, and then going to Amsterdam, not the uh, red light district, and um, <laughs> yeah, then going to London. Oh, cool. And so, you know, it's just a fun trip with people in recovery, and without my recovery, I wouldn't be able to do things like that. So it's setting up small goals for yourself. You know, like a, a great trip like that, yeah. you know, you plan for it for about two years so that it's, it's doable. Yeah. Instead of, you know, oh, I just can't go. I can't do that. I can't. I can't. You can. Absolutely. A lot of, like for me, early in recovery, I felt so guilty about. Like overwhelmed with it? Well, okay. So it's an easy thing for people to say, well, they're out there having fun. But there's really nothing fun about it after a certain point, okay? okay? Yeah. It's just basically, you know, a black hole that you're su- mm-hmm. that you're in, like I said, like the well. Can't get out. The walls are slippery. Even if you did get out, what would you do? Yeah. You burn down every bridge around you. So um, the ability to plan something and make that goal and have that to look forward to. So that's kind of what it's about is setting small goals, finding, you know, like I said, whichever pathway – it's going to be best for you, and then doing it because you get into it. You get into you know new social situations with healthy people. Um, for me, I also um, I go to a, a church that has a lot of recovery activities. Um, it's located in uh, Dunwoody. Okay. It's uh, North Atlanta Church of Christ, and they have recovery Bible study, uh, a recovery message in their service, and then they also have a group called Off the Chain. Like break those chains. Oh, you know? very, ah, um, very funny. I like it. Yeah, I like <laughs> it too. And that's at seven uh, on Wednesdays, uh, right there in Dunwoody. But you know, it's it's a it's a light type uh, environment where you can just soak it in. Yeah, because it doesn't have to be. People. It doesn't have to be such a serious thing. I mean, because well, I, did you maintain your sense of humor during all of your struggles? Uh, well, or is it I'm, hard to? You know, I, okay, so I'm a person that uses humor, humor and sarcasm. <laughs> a little, probably sarcasm a little too much, but um, I did try to keep my sense of humor. Maybe that's part of what kept me sane. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Um, but I will say, you know, recovery, instead of thinking, well, what if I'm going to have a setback or relapse? Mm-hmm. This is the way I try to instill it in all people. If we do the things that we love and we love the people around us, you can expect recovery. And it's not mm. an overnight matter. It's not like, you no. know, okay, I was here today and now, okay, well, I'm sober now, so everything's perfect. There's some things we, we work through and we get through, and then we make small advancements. You know, we make small advancements. And fortunately, because being in recovery is now, that's now getting trendy. That's yes, really You're cool. right. You know, I right. always want to be one of the cool kids. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, now I am one of the cool kids finally at age, you know, I won't say. But um, <laughs> Do you allow so, yourself downtime uh, mentally and emotionally? To, to Because I imagine if I were in that situation, I'd have to keep busy or idle hands of the devil, whatever that expression is, you know? Okay. So, uh, you know, it's all about making time to have fun. Yeah. And making time for downtime and self-care. So yes, it's an important yeah. thing. It's an important thing. You can't you can't help anyone if you yourself are suffering. 
So you could be sober, but your knuckles could be white because you're, mm-hmm. you know, you're kind of laying yourself thin with, um, you know, 12-step sponsorship yeah. or, uh, you know, working two jobs, things like that. So you definitely have to plan for self-care. That is definitely a strategy for long-term Absolutely. recovery. And then having fun. I mean, I can't stress it enough. Having fun. Having fun. There's, there's so many wonderful things you can do, clean and sober, with a group of like-minded people. And that's really what it's all about for me. Absolutely. And I probably know thousands of people in recovery that I hang out with now. Well, if, if you or you, someone you love or someone you know needs some help locally, please get in touch with Amanda. Uh, her number is 404-662-1177. And it's, give her the website again. It's like it's uh, peers, uh, very long. PeersEmpoweringPeers.org. PeersEmpoweringPeers.org. And that's uh, located conveniently in Atlanta, Sandy Springs area. So exactly. get in touch. I, Amanda, thank you so much for being on the show. I it's can't believe our pleasure. time is up. But uh, hopefully we get a little more awareness. And, and God bless you. And, and thanks for, for coming on the show. Thanks for having me on. Good to see you. And I'll see you uh, soon. Okay. And Very thank you all for listening to the show. We'll be back next week with uh, Rodney Harris, another gentleman who I went to high school with. How about that? That's I have a great deep pool of people of that way. Anyway, you all have a great weekend, and we'll see you next week. Thanks.